This is The Guardian. Today, is the UK heading towards a recession? Last week, the Prime Minister was asked about the prospect of the UK economy tanking. Do you, do you think we're headed towards recession? I think that we can, I think, I, I, absolutely not necessarily at all. I think that there are ways forward for the UK that are uh, incredibly exciting. So- not necessarily at all. It's hardly a ringing endorsement. Richard Partington, The Guardian's economics correspondent, shares the same concerns. I'm quite worried about it. We're going through this unprecedented period in the economy. I mean, we say that with alarming regularity these days, to be honest. I mean, we went through the the COVID pandemic. We had the financial crisis 10 years ago. I mean, all of these things are supposed to be once in a century events. But then, you know, straight away, we have this extreme squeeze on household living standards. And this is just the beginning of it. We all know a cost of living crisis is underway. And there are fears that it will tip the country into a full-blown recession. The government's Office for Budget Responsibility reckons it's going to be the worst squeeze on households since the 1950s when modern records began. So, I mean, that's, that's a very worrying world to be, to be living in. With households across the country already struggling with rocketing food prices, energy bills and petrol costs, how much longer can this go on? From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Iqbal. Today in Focus... Is the government doing enough to stop a recession? Richard, forgive me for starting at the very basics, but can you just remind our listeners what a recession is? Sure. A recession is technically defined by economists of two quarters of falling gross domestic product. I mean, it's a broad measure of economic activity based on the value of goods and services produced by a country and the amount that we spend and the amount that we receive. And again, even more basic than that, why does it matter? That's a really good question. I mean, typically, recessions have been closely linked to falling living standards, people having less money to spend on basic goods and services. It's been linked with rising unemployment. And there is also a fear factor, basic you know, animal spirits about how confident you feel about your job security and if you run a business about your business's future as well. So that's why there is a lot of concern about whether the UK would go into a recession or not. And in layperson's terms, how bad are things at the moment? What are the current growth figures? The current growth figures aren't too bad. I mean, we're currently around 1% growth in the first quarter, which is historically quite strong. But we are coming out of a period where the economy was very weak during the COVID pandemic, where lockdowns and uh, global supply chain problems really affected the amount that could be done. However, Going forward, we are heading into quite a difficult or uncertain period. I mean, we're expected to see the economy shrink towards the end of this year. The Cabinet was meeting in Stoke today as figures from March showed the economy shrank. The economy unexpectedly shrank in March. I mean, the reasons there were that retail sales were starting to fall back as people felt a bit of a pinch from higher costs in the shops and uh, the record prices of petrol that we've seen. And that's why we're already starting to see some of the pressure on the British economy. And that's why we have the fastest growing economy in the G7, not just last year, but this year as well. As I never tired. 
Earlier this year, the government would repeatedly claim that the UK is the fastest growing economy in the G7. How true or not is this? It was certainly true last year. However, there's many different ways to assess economic performance. So the UK's economy was the fastest in the G7 last year, but that was because partly we were growing from a very low base. We had the biggest decline in the G7 in 2020 during the COVID pandemic. So naturally, we would have a bigger sort of snapping back like an elastic band. But one of the key points to look at is how much further ahead we are from where we were before the COVID pandemic struck. And in that sense, the UK is distinctly middle of the pack. We are ahead of some countries, such as uh, Germany and France, but not ahead of others like the US and Canada, where performance has been much stronger. Added to that, the G7 economies are due to grow faster than the UK next year. The International Monetary Fund forecasts that the UK will fall to the bottom of the pack. So why is the UK economy growing so slowly? Part of the issue is the cost of living crisis. That is the big factor that's affecting domestic activity. With this squeeze on people's households, this unprecedented hit to living standards that we're seeing at the moment, the highest rates of inflation since at least the early 1980s. Official figures released on Wednesday show that UK inflation has soared to a 40-year high of 9% in April, as food and energy prices have skyrocketed. People have less money to spend on goods and services, particularly those who have you know, less money to begin with. People went through a pandemic where lower income households were the ones that were more likely to lose their jobs or suffer a financial hit. And now people have less money to spend in the shops. So that's a key reason why the UK economy is being affected and growth is particularly slow. Well, the conflict in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia have led to another surge in the cost of oil and gas. The other is global factors in that we still have supply chain problems. There are shortages of key materials and it takes longer for goods to come to the UK. We also have Brexit. That's a big problem for manufacturers and exporters to the continent that isn't being seen in other countries. We have shortages of workers. There is a cocktail of risks facing the UK economy that means that we will be hit harder than some other countries. And that cost of living crisis, the domestic problems that you've mentioned, why might they contribute to lower growth or even to a recession? The worry is that the less money that people have in their pockets to spend on goods and services other than energy is that companies which provide those types of goods and services will not make as much money. There won't be as much retail sales. There won't be as much spending on holidays. There won't be as much spending on tourism and hospitality, eating out in restaurants. People won't have the the money to go as far as they would like. And that will lead to an overall slowdown in sales on the high street and other types of spending. And that could lead to a recession. Richard, you're the expert here. So I need to ask you something that might sound a bit silly, but we've just come out of a pandemic. And on the one hand, I keep reading reports of all the savings some people have made in the last two years. And now finally, they're ready to spend. They're ready to go out, do things, buy stuff. And then on the other, we've got the cost of living crisis, which is really biting and happening in tandem. Some people can't even afford to boil a potato because of the energy it takes. How can both of these things be true at the same time? 
I think we've got a bit of a two-speed economy emerging, really. I mean, inequality has been an issue in the UK for several years now, but I think we're really seeing a significant moment for a, a fresh increase in inequality. As you say, households at the top end, you know, the richer households, saved money during the pandemic. People were working from home. They weren't spending as much on their daily commute and, and lunch out. And, you know, when shops were closed and restaurants and pubs were closed, people saved a lot of money, particularly in cities and in higher paying occupations. Bank of England estimates it's the top 40% in society who managed to amass savings worth more than £200 billion. So wow. you have some people who are able to, now that things are getting back open again, people want to take advantage of that. The rush, particularly we saw it at Easter, people booking holidays, going abroad, pubs, the, the tills were ringing, restaurants packed out, all of that kind of stuff going on. But then again, we have those that didn't manage to save during the pandemic, and it's people in lower paying, more precarious jobs on lower incomes that have really borne the brunt of two consecutive crises. First of all, the COVID pandemic, and now the cost of living crisis. Oh, two days ago, I had, um, I think it was four sandwiches, and Michelle sat there and she, had the, she didn't eat anything. All she had was a milkshake. Benefits have not risen by the rate of inflation this year. This is something the government chose not to do, to increase uh, benefits by anywhere near the amount of inflation. Several mornings and um, Michelle, my partner, has actually been in tears because we've had hardly anything in the cupboard or fridge. Parts of the country that will be hit hardest include, you know, like Blackpool, parts of Birmingham, Stoke-on-Trent, inner London boroughs where there are more people on, on receipt of benefits that are the, the hardest hit in society. And it's those types of places that will be, be most heavily hit. When it comes to what the UK government can do to prevent a recession, one thing you occasionally hear is the term stagflation. Richard, what is that and why does it make it so difficult to respond to? Stagflation is made up of two parts, two really, really bad things for the economy. First of all, stagnation, where there is no economic growth or very little economic growth. The other part is inflation, high rates of inflation. So if you have a combination of stagnant economic growth, but high rates of inflation, that is a really dangerous thing for an economy because you're not growing, but everything is getting more expensive at the same time. So it makes life much, much harder if you're a business or a household to have to deal with such an environment. So there is a serious risk that the UK could face this phenomenon, something which we'd not really seen since the 1970s. Is it fair to say, and I wonder if you could elaborate on the fact that government intervention could make inflation worse? This is a, you know, an argument that the government quite often has deployed recently, partly to sort of say we don't want to intervene too much in the economy because it would lead to making matters worse. If we respond uh, by driving up uh, prices and costs across the board in this country, uh, responding by the government stepping in and, and driving up inflation, uh, that will hit everybody. There uh, is a that risk that government intervention can add to inflationary pressures when you put more money into the economy as the government, you could therefore stimulate demand for goods and services. And that's part of the issue is that demand is in excess of supply. And so there is a concern there. In this instance, I wouldn't say that that's too much of a concern because inflationary pressures are predominantly external. They're coming from energy prices. And when people have less money to spend on goods and services because of high energy prices, the money that you're putting into people's pockets isn't going to really drive up the inflation for other goods and services because it's just helping people to buy those high-costed energy products. So the fear the government had was that pumping too much money into the economy, rather than it making everyone feel a little richer, a bit more secure, 
it would actually mean the money itself was worth less. But you don't think that's the risk here. So I can announce today we will send directly to around 8 million of the lowest income households a one-off cost of living payment of £650. So last week, Chancellor Rishi Sunak seemed to change his mind and announced his third and biggest support package in six months, which was designed to help people struggling with the cost of living and to try and stimulate the economy a little. Richard, what did he unveil? He announced a £15 billion package of support measures um, predominantly targeted at those on the lowest incomes, those in receipt of benefits. Support worth over £5 billion to give vulnerable people certainty that we are standing by them at this challenging time. Eight million households in receipt of means-tested benefits would be able to uh, have £650 of support for you know, handling high energy costs that we're going to see. But he also unveiled some universal measures as well to every bill payer in the country, £400 off bills due this October. In total, the government says it's providing more than £30 billion of support to households this year to deal with rising energy costs. That's really key as we see that the energy bills are due to rise by another £800 this autumn. It's intended to help take some of that sting out for those on the lowest incomes, but also for for broader society as well. It was the aim of warding off recessionary risks that are facing the UK economy. On my right on my friend that by throwing red meat to socialists, by raising taxes on business and telling them where to invest their money is not the conservative way of encouraging those who create our prosperity and jobs to do just that. And do you think government is united on this new approach? I don't know if it is necessarily. I mean So part of the package is funded by a windfall tax. The Chancellor wants to raise about £5 billion in the next year from energy companies that have benefited from extraordinary profits. You know, originally a Labour policy, um, but something that the Chancellor has very much taken on board. It was seen to be popular with the public. However, it's not popular within the parts of the Cabinet, within government. I mean, we've already heard grumblings from certain ministers about how this is going to discourage investment in uh, North Sea oil and gas production, damaging the UK economy and also the energy security of the UK going forward. And those significant measures that the government announced, even if ministers weren't all agreed on it, will they be enough to stave off a recession? I think the jury will still be out. I mean, there is certainly hope now that a recession will be avoided. I thought it was telling on the day of Rishi Sunak's announcement that there was falls in the share prices for energy companies that are involved in uh, oil and gas production. However, there was an increase on stock markets for the valuation of companies involved in the retail sector, the likes of Marks and Spencer's Next, Associated British Foods, Primark's owner. Those share prices went up in a reflection of one thing, and that is that there will be more money in people's pockets to go out and spend after the government made that intervention. And that is the type of thing that uh, that economists are looking for to ward off a recession. Are you anticipating any more measures like that from government? I don't think that we're anticipating anything now until the autumn when Rishi Sunak will announce his autumn budget. It's supposed to be his big event of the year, the event that we were all supposed to wait for until the cost of living crisis pushed him to act sooner. The government feels as though it is probably now done enough after having finally caught up with where perhaps public opinion is and what needs to be done. I'm sure that the Chancellor will now want to take some stock before announcing additional measures if they are needed in the autumn. And I think that they will be needed because 
although this announcement sounds very big, £15 billion, some people say it's just a sticking plaster given the scale of the cost of living emergency. So despite the Chancellor's proposals so far, it's, the economy could still be blown off course? Very much so. I mean, the rises that we are seeing in, in prices are, are absolutely monumental and they could still affect the economy in such a way that we fall into a recession later this year. I think the interesting points to look for will be what professional forecasters say, the likes of the Bank of England, when they come to next make announcements and, and update their forecasts for the economy. Today came news of the latest. The Bank of England sounding a recession warning, predicting a sharp fall in gross domestic product at the end of the year, a dramatic drop in our national income. The Bank of England will play a key role in setting interest rates over the coming months, and that could add to some of the headwinds facing households, particularly around the price of, uh, of credit, of mortgages, of, uh, of borrowing and loans. And even as households are squeezed, the bank added to the pain by raising interest rates to 1%, the highest level in 13 years. The bank is expected to add to those costs over the coming months. And those are dangers again for whether the UK could be tilted into a recession later this year. Coming up, everything feels so expensive right now. Will it get worse before it gets better? Richard, even if we technically avoid a recession, it will still be pretty bad, won't it? I mean, what will it mean for people if the economy continues to struggle on? I think that's the real danger that we're facing, is that we are going through a period of, if not recession, of very, very low economic growth before the 2008 financial crisis. You know, for the past sort of three or four decades, the UK economy was averaging annual growth rates of around 2%. Now we're going to see closer to, to zero or 1% over the, over the coming years ahead. And that is really problematic when, you know, the government has a promise to level up the country, to increase people's living standards, to create a high wage, high skilled, high productivity economy of the future. If we're going to see little to no growth, wages aren't really going to move that very far. Businesses aren't going to, to prosper. Households are going to feel a bit of a squeeze for, for a prolonged period yet. And in the meantime, inflation is at 9%. Can we still expect high inflation to continue? Inflation is forecast to peak closer to 10% later this year. Again, rates not seen for 40 years. Well, let's bring you more on that breaking news now, that the regulator is expecting an energy price cap increase in October in the region of £2,800. That's due to the increase in domestic energy bills, which we're due to see in October. High inflation is here with us to stay for at least this year and, and probably into next. What do you think the effect on our politics will be if the best case scenario is that we're living with 1% growth? I think there's going to be a big debate about how that that has changed. I mean, on the government benches, there will be a real desire to cut taxes and regulation to boost the economy. That's the, the view amongst conservatives about what's lacking. On the other side, there is a view that there isn't enough investment in the UK economy and that there isn't enough money in people's pockets and that wages need to rise so that people have more to spend. There's a, probably a greater weight down on, on that side of the argument that we need to really snap out of a period 
period of low growth, low investment and low wages that has really dominated our economy for the past decade. And that it's time really that we should move on from that. The, the danger is that it doesn't look as though that is happening. And for the party of government, that's a real problem. I wish there was an easier way, but I have to tell you, there is no other responsible way. Richard, listeners will remember when the UK entered a recession after the financial crash in 2008, which dominated our politics with a decade of austerity. But there isn't a magic money tree that we can shake that suddenly provides for everything that people want. Do you think the effects this time will be similarly profound? I think that the effects this time could be similarly profound in that the COVID pandemic was viewed as a short, sharp shock to the economy. We had this monumental collapse in economic activity, the biggest fall in the economy for 300 years. However, we're supposed to have then snapped back very quickly, the fastest growth rates in the G7, as the government was very fond of saying, returning us to our pre-pandemic size. Now we're going to see something similar to the post-financial crisis period where it's much more slow burn, like a slow puncture. We have these high rates of inflation, these low rates of growth projected out for the next three or four years. And that is similar to the, the landscape that we saw after the financial crisis, where it took a long time to get the economy moving again. So I think it is going to have a profound effect on, on our politics. There will be a debate about how best to remedy these solutions. And it's quite often said the government appear to be out of ideas. I think the government will want to try and show that they are not. But the on the left of politics, on the opposition benches and Labour, the Liberal Democrats, the Greens, will want to say that they have the ideas to take forward the economy into the future. Richard, thank you so much. Great, thank you. That was Richard Partington. You can read Richard's piece written with Sarah Butler on food price increases and more on the cost of living crisis at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Elizabeth Cassin and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.